Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 83. Uh, this week, it's myself, Michael, and Sarah. And we have a guest this week, actually a return guest. We have Miriam. And she's here to talk to us about a new book that's uh, just come out. That she's, she's the author of that book. But before we get to Miriam, uh, let's take a little lap around the news. Uh, Sarah, why don't you kick things off? A couple of things to talk about. Um, uh, Azure Application Gateway is now in public preview for containers. So uh, it's basically the the evolution of the application gateway plus the application gateway ingress controller um so yep um if you are needing to put an application gateway in front of your containers uh go and have a look because uh it's now in public preview you can play around with it does some really cool things like it scales nicer um than before the performance is better you can deploy it um as code all of that good stuff um and then next up uh we've got bring your own key um on ephemeral os disk for aka Yes. So I guess it really does what it says on the tin, it means if you're using ephemeral OS disk on AKS, you can now bring your own key. So I have to say, but Sarah's personal advice here, don't use bring your own key unless you desperately need to. Um, and there are some industries um, and so, uh, there are some industry verticals and some jurisdictions where you must bring your own key. But Sarah's top tip for this episode is don't do bring your own key unless you have to, because it's a bit of a mission. Michael, you've probably got thoughts on that, but um, that's all I've got for this this time for the news. Yeah, I'm a crypto purist, right? So I'm very much a, a fan of having your own keys. But by the same token, I also recognize that the stress that can come from having your own keys, uh, if you lose the keys, we don't have a copy of them, right? So you better make sure you've got all the policies and processes in place to you know recycle keys and, uh, you know, whole life cycle of keys and so on and so forth so yeah no i i actually do agree with you because the key the, because the data is encrypted anyway but just that the keys are managed um by the data centers that way if um you know if a device is stolen then the, the data is actually is actually encrypted it's also really important to understand what threats you're actually mitigating with uh either, either using customer managed keys or bring your own keys and uh, platform managed keys but that's a discussion for another day all right, so from my, uh, my news, actually, I'm talking about cryptography um, and in my own backyard in Azure SQL database or SQL Server in general. Um, so always encrypted, the always encrypted wizard in SSMS, so the SQL Server Management Studio, now supports securing enclaves and in-place encryption. What that means is that all the cryptographic operations are now actually performed just by SQL. Um, in the old days, you had to perform those operations by moving the data out of the database first, um, which is probably not what you want. So it's fantastic to see that. Um, still in the area of always encrypted with secure enclaves, uh, DC series databases, so that's the underlying compute, now supports up to 40 V cores. There was um, a limitation on the number of V cores you could have for the database, um, and that was quite limiting for some customers, especially you know, wanting to use always encrypted. So now we've raised that limit substantially to 40 V cores, which is uh, another thing that's just great to see. We've mentioned this in the past about private link for Azure SQL managed instance. Uh, well, now it's actually in GA. It's now generally available. Uh, we mentioned it you know, prior, but it was actually in preview at the time. So this is great to see. So, you know, I've mentioned this a, a billion times, but here's a billion and first time. You know, it's just great to see more of the PaaS products. I think we're getting close to saturation now 
where all the past products or the majority of them actually have private endpoint support. So that's really another great thing to see. We now have in Azure Databricks, this is generally available, is the Enhanced Security and Compliance add-on. This does things like having hardened security images, uh, better compliance governance and those sorts of things for your your Databricks workspaces. I'm not an expert on Databricks by any stretch, but it's good to see sort of tooling coming out that helps you manage this sort of stuff. All right, so with our news out of the way, uh, let's turn our attention to our guest. So this week again, we have Miriam. She's returned to the podcast. All right, so Miriam, hey, thank you so much for joining us again. We'd like to take a moment and just give our listeners a little background on what you do. Hi, uh, thank you so much for inviting me again to this podcast. So uh, my name is Miriam Wiesner. And I'm currently working as a senior security researcher for Microsoft. I'm part of the Microsoft 365 Defender team. So that is basically the team that is doing the research behind Microsoft 365 Defender. And yeah, so in my spare time, I did a lot of PowerShell coding and a lot of security. And uh, this is basically also what kind of led to me writing this book. The book is PowerShell Automation and Scripting for Cybersecurity, Hacking and Defense for Red and Blue Teamers. So first of all, congratulations on the book. Is it your first book? Yeah, thanks. And yeah, it's actually my first book. Never wrote a book before. So congratulations. And now you can actually, actually call yourself an author. You can actually update your LinkedIn profile and include the word author on there as well. So let's start at the very top then. Okay, so why... Why did you write this book? I mean, what problem are you trying to solve? So actually, why I wrote this book is quite boring. Um, well, I, I was approached on LinkedIn by the publisher, and they asked me if I would be interested in writing uh, a PowerShell security-related book for them. And first, um, I thought, well, are they crazy asking me if I wanted to write a book? Uh, because I thought I could never do that. And then I took some more days and really looked into the topic. And I thought, okay, with a little bit of research, actually, I already have the knowledge of many areas that they wanted in that book. And so I, uh, yeah, I said yes. And I agreed to writing a book for them. And um, what this book should solve, um, basically, there are a lot of PowerShell security-related sources out there, but nothing really compiles everything together. And um, also, when you are trying to understand more about a certain topic, uh, it's really hard. You spend a lot of hours just researching everything. The book should not only help beginners to get into PowerShell security, but also help advanced PowerShell practitioners um, or security practitioners uh, to understand certain PowerShell security-related topics and dive deeper. So you brought up a point there that I really want to sort of drill into a little bit more. You, you, you mentioned that you didn't know you sort of had a book inside you. And I hear that all the time from people. And I think everyone has a book inside them. I, I actually genuinely believe that. I, I believe that everyone in the world, regardless of your background, is an expert at something. It doesn't matter what you do in life. I, I, I genuinely believe that. And I think everyone has a, you, know, you could easily write a book on that topic. It doesn't really matter what 
you know, what the topic is. I'm just saying, oh, you know, I could never write a book. You know, I'm, I, I actually, I bet you, you could. I mean, the only downside, I suppose, is the, is the discipline of writing. Mm. Um, that, you know, you sort of got to overcome that problem. But <laughs> once you've got over that, I think everyone has a book inside them. Sarah, what do you think? I mean, you wrote, you know, you wrote a book with Yuri and, uh, and Mark and Gladys. So, you know, what's your thought on that? Yeah. So, well, I've written two books now, but I, 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 I'm totally down with what Miriam was saying as well in terms of I wasn't sure I had a book in me, even though when I was asked to do the, the two books that I've done, uh, it is to- a topic I know plenty about. And But yeah, there's a lot of imposter syndrome, right? You're just like, oh, I, I don't know this well enough. I, I No one's going to want to listen to what I have to say. And so I do think uh, sometimes you're right. I think a, does everyone have a book inside them? Yeah, probably. And I think some people are more inclined to go out and do it, or maybe it might be circumstance uh, that sort of pushes you into doing it like Miriam. Um, definitely a thing. Uh, and I think it all leads into, we'll, we'll go into a big psychological thing here, but it all leads into the imposter syndrome that all of us at some point or another in our careers suffer from, right? Yeah, I think imposter syndrome is actually huge in this industry. I think a lot of people think they're not good enough. Um, you know, we have world-class, you know, literally world-class people on the podcast, right? And it's easy to say, oh, you know, I could never be like that person. But again, you know, in your area of expertise, I mean, you know, if you look at my area, and so I don't really mean to sort of segue too much here, but I think, but I think it's important. You know, I look at my, my main area of expertise, right, which is, you know, I have cybersecurity as my sort of title somewhere, but it's really not cybersecurity. My, my main focus is on secure software design, secure software development, that sort of stuff, right? You know, exploiting code and putting defenses in code and that sort of stuff. So when it comes to things like stuff that you two are experts at, I, I'm not an expert at those stuff. I mean, I know enough to, you know, to have a hallway conversation with somebody, but I certainly can't hold a very long conversation with an expert. But it's probably the same for me, right? You know, if I start talking about really low-level kernel mode Windows, you know, issues... I'm sure your eyes will glaze over. And so again, everyone's an expert, and and I, I think you need to people in general need to stop thinking that they're they're not good enough. I think you know cybersecurity is a massive, massive area, and you're not going to know all of it. You're just not. So um, so yeah, I know we got off track a little bit there, but I'm a so Miriam. When you're writing this book, since since it was your first book, so what was the writing experience like? Any little stories you'd like to sort of share with people? Yeah. So first. Um before I started writing the book, there was already a lot of work included because um, they provided me with an idea on the topic that I could write about. But in the end, um, I had to come up with a draft on how the structure would look like and already think about the chapters that I will be writing. And this is really hard at the beginning because uh, things change and you probably don't have the entire book in your head already when you start writing. And so first thing was uh, really working on the outline and already describing what I will be writing in those chapters. And I can tell you uh, a lot of those things changed. Well, the structure remains similar, but nevertheless, uh, it changed. And... um, 
if you already created the outline and shared it with your publisher, then there are also expectations. And so I also had to explain why uh, my outline suddenly changed when I was working on the book. And yeah, after I had the outline and um, agreed on it with the publisher, and it is not enough to just work on the outline. You also have to uh, have an estimation of how many pages you're going to write. And boy, I just exceeded all my <laughs> page estimations and uh, wrote so much more than I or originally wanted to write. And um, then the actual writing started. And um, that that was the hardest part, to be honest. Sarah, did you have a did you have a similar similar issues as, as well? Like you just couldn't make your page counts. Like you either were under or over. Yes. So it's interesting. So for the first book I wrote, I was over, but for the second one, I was under. So it was interesting. I, I went two different ways, and and I also felt because um, I had um, because I wrote for those of you who don't know. Um, who are listening, I wrote exam guides, uh, and, and you can still go get them um, if you're doing the SC100 or SC200. But because of that, we did have to stick to the the outline, you know, the exam guide. And sometimes I would want to go into something because I felt people should know it in a bit more detail. But there's only so far off on a tangent you can go, especially with an exam guide. Well, because people you know, it's it's interesting, but what you might be teaching someone if it's not in the curriculum, although it's interesting, it's not going to help them pass the exam. And that was not the purpose of the book. So, so yeah, definitely. Um, it, yeah, I went both ways. There's a funny story. So in the designing and developing secure Azure solutions in one of the chapters, which is on cryptography, which of course is my, my favorite topic by far, I'd actually mentioned that, you know, my, my page estimate was, because uh, it was literally just going to be just, just pure cryptography. My estimate was 24, 25 pages. At 85 pages, I decided to stop. Um, I just couldn't, I just couldn't stop. And, and the editors were like, uh, you said 24, 25, and you're at like 84, 85. I'm like, yeah. And they, and they said, well, we, you know, is it good content or is it all fluff? And I'm like, no, it's, it's good content. It's not fluff at all. I, you know, I'm not, not, I don't really like to sort of fluff things up too much, you know. And um, they said, okay, we'll let it stick, but, you know, can you please try to stay on? Stay on point for the uh, for the next chapters, which I was I was okay at. In terms of the layout, for the most part, the chapter outline didn't change. Um, we did remove one chapter, um, but what we did is we interleaved the topics of that chapter throughout the other chapters instead, um, which actually turned out to be a much better decision. Now we talked about sort of writing writing our st our, our books. So, Mary, you want to just give us an overview of the book? What's in the book? I mean, obviously it's PowerShell and security and cybersecurity and you know testing and so on. But you want to give us a bit more of a concrete example of what you know what people should expect to learn from this and how it's going to help them on a sort of day to day basis. Yeah, so actually I added two additional chapters while writing the book because you mentioned that I had literally the same problem as you. And um, so the book is structured into three parts. So the first part is really diving more into PowerShell and PowerShell security. So basically getting started, scripting fundamentals, uh, understanding important technologies such as PS remoting and also logging. 
And then um, in the second part, we are diving deeper into the system, into Active Directory and um, Azure Active Directory, or um, basically Entra ID um, in the future. The second part also has a red team and a blue team cookbook. Yeah, so the second part is mostly focusing on understanding technologies into deep, so diving deeper. And the last part, uh, the third part, is what can you do to protect your organizations against those kinds of kinds of attacks? What can you do to make your environment more secure? And of course, the second part does not only focus on red team stuff, it also focuses on blue team stuff. And the last part also does not only focus on blue team practitioner tasks, but also on things that are important or extremely interesting for uh, red teamers. So do you want to give us an example of some of the content for blue team and some of the content for red teams? Yes. So so basically, uh, the blue teamers most of the time want to secure their environment, want to protect their environment and defend. And um, the blue team part is, for example, um, yeah, basically the understanding the mitigations, understanding how to configure them. So, for example, uh, just enough administration is a huge topic, which is not very well known, as well as uh, also other yeah mitigations such as application control, and understanding how does PowerShell change when application control is applied is also something that is not really well discovered or explored, I think. One part, for example, the so anti-malware scan interface is, of course, a topic that is interesting to blue as red teamers as well. So for the blue teamers, it is important to understand how it works and why it was designed the way it works and that it basically protects you in a very good way. And red teamers are also trying to bypass ANSI. So uh, it is not only interesting for red teams to understand how to bypass or how others were bypassing ANSI in the past, but it is also very interesting for blue teamers to understand how attackers think and how red teamers think and uh, in order to better protect themselves. And um, I mentioned the red team cookbook and the blue team cookbook. Uh, so those are two so two chapters. One is the red team tasks and cookbook. The other chapter is the blue team tasks and cookbook. Of course, I can't cover everything that there is, but it should give some people that are starting working with PowerShell, for example, for their red team engagements, or that want to just, yeah, also arm their blue team with some some cool scripts and uh, want to do more than they are just doing right now. Those are really cookbooks with examples on uh, what you want to achieve and then a solution, so a so-called recipe. So Miriam, why PowerShell? So, well, PowerShell was always a part of my, yeah, professional work life, so to say. So I... I am part of the PowerShell community for already some years, I think. And I even made it uh, on the stage to present about PowerShell. And PowerShell is all is all is everywhere. PowerShell is everywhere. So on every 
modern Windows system, you have PowerShell. And that also makes things very easy, not only for attackers, but also for defenders. And I also used to write to open source uh, tools using PowerShell. And so I think this this is why PowerShell, uh, because I, I'm very used to PowerShell. I really like PowerShell. I worked a lot with PowerShell. And um, I think this is how the publisher also uh, contacted me about writing about PowerShell. And when you were asking about why did I add two more chapters writing about PowerShell, my publisher had some chapter page restrictions. And when you try to estimate the page, the pages of a chapter, I did not think that I will add pictures on th- something and I did not put that into the calculation. And so I started with my first chapter and originally uh, I planned to have also the scripting fundamentals in the first chapter into getting started with PowerShell. And then I just wrote and wrote and wrote and the chapter just got huge. And I was like, okay, uh, I I really need this information in this chapter because otherwise if people are just starting out with PowerShell and they never really worked with PowerShell, then they will be lost in the rest of the book. And so it had to be in the book. And then the, the publisher approached me and they were like, well, would you like to split those chapters maybe? And it was like, no, I don't want to split those chapters. This belongs together. And But it was really a huge, huge, huge chapter. And I don't know how people would have felt if they had just such a huge chapter and no break in between. And so we finally decided to split this chapter. And uh, yes. So, and um, the other chapter that um, I decided to split was in the end the Active Directory and the Azure AD or Entra ID chapter. So by the time this book was written, written um, Azure AD was still Azure AD and not Entra AD. So uh, you will find the word Entra ID in there, but mostly I talk about Azure AD um, because it was just announced bef- shortly before we, we uh, published it. And so it was almost impossible to just change everything. Um, but those chapters, I first um, thought about writing one chapter about Active Directory, so the on-prem solution, and Entra ID, the Azure ID. And um, while I was writing it, I just added so much information in there that I really found relevant for security, especially for PowerShell security. And those chapters do not only address Azure AD or or, or Active Directory security from a PowerShell point of view. We are also talking about protocols and things that are really important that you really need to know when we are talking about AD security or AAD security. And again, I could not leave anything out. And so it really makes sense, made sense to split those chapters and write one chapter only about Active Directory and one chapter only about Android. So back to um, Sarah's question about PowerShell and your comments about PowerShell. I, th- I think it would be fair to say that probably 75, 80% of any tooling that I write, I write today is in PowerShell. 
um, back in the day, I used to write all my sort of red team and blue team type scripts in, in Perl. Um, I'm probably aging myself now, but the, the, you know, the big joke about writing these things in Perl is Perl is a, is a write-only language, right? Once you've written it, you can never, you can never read it ever again. But yeah, I write all my stuff in, in, in PowerShell today, mainly because it's, you know, it's got all the power of .NET, but, the, but it's in a scripting language, which is, which is really nice. And some of the ways that it handles things like strings is just absolutely beautiful, which makes parsing you know, error returns and uh, HTTP responses and those sorts of things. It makes handling that kind of stuff just uh, incredibly straightforward. So I think, I think PowerShell is a really productive language uh, in general for administration, uh, but certainly for, for cybersecurity, you know, sort of red teaming and blue teaming. So I think it's a really good choice. I've actually seen other books, you know, that talks about using C sharp and so on for, you know, for, for doing analysis of, of environments. But you know, you, you got to, you know, it's compiled code. You got to make sure you got all the assemblies installed, you know, and so on and so forth. Not that I'm saying that's bad, but I think PowerShell is just uh, has significantly less friction when it comes to deploying on multiple machines, you know, Windows and Linux for that matter, because obviously, you know, PowerShell is available across platform. So I think it's a good choice. When you're saying uh, C-sharp, actually, uh, we are also looking at C-sharp uh, in our book because uh, PowerShell is also able to compile and to execute uh, C code. And uh, this is also a really interesting part in the book, in my opinion. You said C code? Yes. Or C-sharp? So C-sharp, but I, yeah, it, it does not really matter as long as... Um, that framework supports it basically yeah yeah okay very cool yeah actually just out of just out of interest um over the last uh, few weeks i've actually started writing my first tools in rust um mainly just to, to learn more about rust i actually really like rust i like rust a lot uh, i wouldn't recommend it you know if you're starting out you know right you know if you're starting out programming but it's um, it's a very interesting language but uh, but yeah i agree 100 percent still though i think powershell is just a great language for very quick iteration, you know, on, on writing new tooling and also it helps with source code control because it's just, you know, just the, uh, you know, the, the script file itself, um, which you can store in your, you know, in your repos and so on. Hey, do you talk about digital signatures on PowerShell scripts? Um, we have a short, uh, yeah, a short, short section about code signing. So yes, what do you want to know? And I'm sure I can't answer all your crypto questions, but <laughs> yeah, I just realized it's Michael and his crypto again. Um, <laughs> no, I, there's a there's a time I would love to see where environments in general run just signed code, and I know that there are you know political and philosophical disagreements with that, but I, I think some types of environments. You, know, you really should only execute signed signed code, whether it's a binary, you know, an executable, or you know, an ELF binary in, in Linux. But I think the same goes with PowerShell, right? You can actually yeah, have a 100%. signature. You, yeah, you can have a signature on a PowerShell script, and you can have a policy that says only run signed PowerShell scripts. Yes, and uh, actually, it also you you can also depending on how you configure your environment can also configure it so that only signed scripts are allowed to actually run in full language mode and uh, that other unsigned uh, are not uh, uh, yeah are not allowed to run in full language mode but rather in constrained language mode which is some kind of a very restricted uh, language mode 
which allows you to only run safe uh, commands. So we, we just talked earlier about running uh, C-sharp code from PowerShell, and uh, this would not be possible uh, if you try to run C-sharp code from constrained language mode. I didn't even know that existed. Oh, that's news to me. Sarah, are you aware of that, that PowerShell has a constraint mode? I didn't know that. Okay, so I'm going to have a confession here, and that actually leads very nicely onto what I was going to ask Miriam next. So I don't know a whole load of PowerShell, going to con- true, true confession, um, not for any particular reason apart from I have never really needed to in my career. Don't hate on me too much. But Miriam, for our listeners, I'm hoping there are some listeners who are like me and maybe do, don't do too much PowerShell. Um, obviously, I know what it is and what it can do. What would you say? Um, what are the kind of people who you reckon, it, it, like like a PowerShell noob like me, what what could I learn from your book? Or what, why would I, why would it be worth me picking up your book and reading it, even if I don't do a lot of PowerShell? Yeah, so, so basically I tried to write this book not only for one uh, community, so not only for, for uh, security professionals who are working with PowerShell, I tried to address uh, yeah many more, so also pen testers, administrators, uh, people that are just trying to start out with PowerShell. And um, if you are trying to start out with PowerShell, I definitely recommend go through the book chapter by chapter because it builds on each other and you will just learn the basics from the beginning. You will learn about the help system so uh, that you can also help yourself to understand a PowerShell CMD-LED in a better way. You can also find out what CMD-LEDs exist if you are interested in and how you can use PowerShell to help yourself getting to know PowerShell. So, and um, also the second chapter is also for people who never really scripted PowerShell or for, for other people who just needs or who just need a refresher on the scripting fundamentals. And basically, you learn a little bit more in every chapter. You learn how to operate PowerShell. You learn also, yeah, how, how to help yourself. I said this before, I know. Um, but everything somehow builds on each other. So if you learned a cool trick in the chapter before, we are already using it in the next chapter and also building up on that. Uh, in some cases. And um, basically, you will not only learn PowerShell, but the cool thing is you will learn it from a security perspective. And everything that I ever learned about PowerShell security um, that I could fit in this book, uh, you will find in this book. So there's really, really a lot of knowledge. And, and that's important, I think, if you're learning PowerShell. So I've said this a million times, but I'll say it again. And that is, you know, even if you're not a developer, you, you kind of, if you're working in a cloud environment, you kind of have to understand the basics of, of programming. And I think PowerShell is a very easy way of learning programming concepts. I, I really do. But here you've got a book that, even if you're not an expert in PowerShell, it's going to make, you know, you're going to learn the basics of throwing a PowerShell script together while doing something that's actually of use and of interest to you. Whenever I'm learning a new programming language, which I do probably at least once a year, 
I, I'll just write something, right? I'll just, normally what I do is I write a web server. And that sounds really silly, but I actually write like a simple web server. And the reason why I do that is because I you know, worked in IIS for a long time, so I kind of know how web servers work. But I'll write, I'll write like just a, a, a very, very simple web server. And that way you, you, know, you start doing something, you start off with very, something very, very simple, like listing on a socket, then you're doing some file I.O., then you make it multi-threaded, blah, 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 right? All these, all these different things. But here you've got, you know, if you're not, even if you're not, you know, again, not an expert in PowerShell, you can start learning, you know, how to program in PowerShell, which is just programming in general, right? But at the same time, you're learning it through something that's of interest to you. And I think that accelerates the learning experience. So I think books like this are really fantastic for, you know, for, for this du- sort of dual pronged approach, learning to program and learning cybersecurity programming all at the same time, which I, I think is it's just brilliant. So, you know, I hope that the, the book does uh, amazingly well because it, it deserves to. Thank you so much. I know PowerShell and I know cybersecurity stuff and I've done, you know, written whole, all sorts of different tools, but I don't pretend to understand the depth, depth and breadth to which PowerShell will help me red team and blue team in, you know, a, a, sort of, for example, in an Azure environment. I, I generally don't know, you know, how deep and how, how broad, you know, PowerShell can possibly go. Um, and frankly, what things I should even look out for. So I, I for one, as soon as this podcast episode is, is, is done and done, I will uh, go ahead and pre-order a copy. I'll probably buy it on the Kindle, to be honest with you, just because I, I just enjoy reading my Kindle uh, in, outside in the sun. So uh, by the pool, drinking a, drinking a gin and tonic. So yeah, I'll definitely be, be one for the book. All right, so we're getting close to wrapping this episode up. So Miriam, if, yeah, any other further thoughts on the book before we bring this thing to a close? If you are thinking of buying my book, I really hope that you enjoy reading it. Um, so basically, it has so much of my condensed knowledge when it comes to PowerShell security in there. Everything that I ever worked on uh, is included there. And I really hope that you enjoy reading it. And um, for the listeners of this podcast, we also do have a discount code. And you will find the discount code on the website of this podcast. Very exciting, Miriam. Yep. And as Miriam said, we'll have that in the show notes. If you're interested in uh, reading more about PowerShell, uh, which hopefully you should be by now. So, Miriam, um, you've been on the podcast before as a guest, so you know how we finish this off. Uh, We ask our, our guest for a final thought. So what's your final thought to leave our listeners with this time? So I think PowerShell is really important when it comes to security. So there are a lot of actors that are using PowerShell for their malicious purposes. But it could be also really be gold in the hand of defenders. So it has a huge and very detailed logging capabilities. And um, also really helps you to secure your environment if you know what to do. And really think about it, how PowerShell could benefit you, either from a blue teamer or a red teamer perspective. And um, also thanks for listening me talking about my book and uh, I really hope that you will enjoy it and I put a little bit of everything in it so 
doesn't matter if you are a beginner or a professional with already uh, tons of experience. I try to fit everything in there. And uh, I hope you enjoy reading my book. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Yeah, thank you, um, Miriam. I think it's a, a great final wrap up, and I, I I really want to endorse the whole concept again. If you're learning, if you're learning programming, and you you know you're interested in cybersecurity, this is a great way of doing it because it will introduce you to both at the same time while you know while covering a topic that you're passionate about. So, sort of learning programming through osmosis is uh, generally a very good thing. So again, thank you so much for joining us uh, this week, Miriam, and uh, congratulations on the book. And to all our listeners out there, thanks for listening. We hope you found this episode uh, useful. Do go out and buy Miriam's book and uh, stay safe. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website, azsecuritypodcast.net. If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. Background music is from ccmixter.com and licensed under the Creative Commons license.